following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. I just wanted to see if anybody would think something was off why I would walk down here. I hadn't started preaching yet. Haven't read the text yet. But I keep looking at this graphic for this study in Colossians. And just every time I see it, it just makes me think a little deeper. I'm thinking about the scripture we're going to study this morning. And I read this What's on the screen? Christ is enough. The sufficiency of Christ in Colossians. So that's the theme. But I sit there and I read. I read the text. I read the notes I've made and the things I've discovered this week as I've studied. And I just felt like I needed to come a little closer to everybody out here. Because if anything at all might go through your minds like it's gone through my mind, then I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned because the more I read the Scripture and the more I took notes and I had little light bulbs go on. I thought, oh wow, that's a good word right there. And that, you know, the way it made me feel. Here's what I realized. I don't know that I'm the one that needs to be saying what I'm about to say. I just, I want to be honest and upfront. I don't know that the more I, <laughs> I mean, I wrote the notes. Uh, but the more I read what I wrote, I just thought, do I do I have a a right to say the things that I've written down to all of you? And and I I, I may I may have, I may have a um, I may have a an an obligation and a duty to tell you what I've written down. But I don't, I don't know that I'm the one to tell you. Because, let me, let me try to clarify that. The title of the message today is Living a Worthy Life. And this scripture is going to tell us very clearly what that looks like. And so here's what... Now, now listen, I'm going I'm to... Put this out there as a warning before we even get there. There's stuff in this scripture today that should penetrate and break your heart. It's there. If you're if you're engaged with God and His Word today, if you're paying attention. If you're listening, not to me, I could just read the Scripture and that, that would be sufficient. 
but I want to share some of the things that God's given me about the Scripture. It's it's here. It's here for the taking. If you're willing to examine your own heart, if you're willing to not just sit in a chair because that's what you do every week, check a box because, well, I went to church so I'm good. I'm not talking about that. You you can have perfect attendance and still be lost and go to hell. So, so please listen to me. Billy Graham, in his estimate, thought that at least 50% of those sitting in church services on Sundays were lost to going to hell. I don't know if that's too conservative. Because here's what, here's what this Scripture has shown me. If we hear, but don't listen, or if we listen, but don't apply God's Word, there will be no change in our hearts. And listen to me. I've been in church services. I've sat in rooms where people have attended a church longer than I've been alive. And here's the question. Where is the fruit of all that Scripture that's been heard? You tracking with me? Where's the evidence of someone who has sat under the teaching of God's Word for more than 50 years? Where's the change in life? Where's the application? Because isn't that what knowledge is supposed to lead to? Knowledge leads to action. It's supposed to. Right? So what I'm trying to do is... is prepare you because I, I, I struggle with that transaction. Knowledge to action. And I read this scripture. It's only six verses. It's only six verses. It's more than enough. So I just want, I, w- I wanted to get a little closer and look in some eyes a little closer. And, and I, I want to plead with you. Don't check a box. And, and for heaven's sake, don't do your religious duty. And, and please, don't think you're doing God a favor by being here. He's doing us a favor by drawing us into His presence. So, we're going to read where we picked up, we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday, Colossians 1, verse 9. And it's going to cause us to go backwards a little bit, but I think that'll be uh, for our benefit. Here's what the Bible says. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, I pray today that You would not uh, speak to us in light of, of me being the one speaking, but I pray that You would speak to us in spite of me to help us understand, help us to hear and, and listen and apply and obey. And God, I pray we would be honest with ourselves that Your Spirit would cut into our hearts and do the needed repairs. And that Your Spirit would find us cooperative rather than resistant. We, we need Your help desperately. So I pray You would help us because You are faithful and true and You can be trusted and You are to be praised. So we, we praise You this morning. We thank You in advance. We pray You would glorify Yourself. In Christ's name, Amen. For this reason also, since the day we heard. What reason? What did we hear? So we go back a little bit in the text. And there's something in verse 8, where that's where we ended last Sunday. And the Bible says that Paul and Timothy were informed by this brother named Epaphras who had come from the church in Colossae and, and visited them in prison and said, uh, hey, this church loves God. This church has love for the family of God. You see verse 8? Look in your Bibles. Verse 8. Colossians 1 verse 8. He informed us of your love in the Spirit. So then verse 9, which is the first verse of our text today, it says, for this reason also since the day we heard. The day we heard of what? Your love in the Spirit. We heard about, from Epaphras, we heard about your love in the Spirit. And so, because of that, since that day, we have not ceased to pray for you. There's, there's two words that Paul uses here. If you look in the text here, look on the screen, you see it. Verse 9, we haven't ceased to pray for you and to ask. It's two different words. 
So we're, we're praying and asking. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. So the first thing we want to do today, in verse 9, this is real interesting the way the text breaks down because uh, it's only a two-point message today. But verse 9 is one of them. Number one, know the will of God. Know the will of God. One verse. But, but I know what you're thinking. Well, I, let me rephrase it. I suspect I know what you're thinking. Know the will of God. And, and you might, well, that's not so easy. How, how are we supposed to know the will of God? Well, the will of God is not so much a list of things or accomplishments or destinations. The will of God is, who are you in Christ? Who are you? And so, knowing the will of God, look what the, te- the, the text says it, be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, Paul and Timothy, sitting in prison, but they hadn't stopped praying for the believers in the Colossian church ever since the day they heard of their love for all the saints. And they're asking God for some specific blessings in the lives of these believers be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Be granted all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, I want to just clarify that what Paul has in mind here, so writes Douglas Moo, a great New Testament scholar, he says, what Paul has in mind is not some particular or special direction for one's life, as we often use that phrase, God's will, but a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that He means for the universe and for the Colossians. So understand here, Paul's trying to battle against this false teaching that he's found out has infiltrated the church. And so what's his solution? What's his solution against the false teaching? It's let me tell you more and more about Jesus. That'll, that'll stop any false teaching. You know Jesus better, and that will halt the false teaching. So the Word, the Word is the keynote of Paul's reply about this false teaching. The cure is, is more knowledge of the will of God. So we need to know not the will of God for what I need to do or where I need to go or what I need to study or where I need to work or any of those things. What about the will of God for you as a believer What does God want me to be? He wants me to be increasing in the knowledge of Himself and applying that knowledge to my behavior, my lifestyle. Know the will of God. Now, I know that went quickly, but number two is a little bit more in depth. Number two, live a life pleasing to God. And this is where we're going to camp out for a minute. From verse 10 to verse 14 in this paragraph, Paul is very specific about what this life looks like and how it comes about. Because if you remember just what we spoke about in verse 9, Paul and Timothy are praying specifically that the Colossians will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understand. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the appropriate use of knowledge. 
How do I know all this stuff, now how do I use it in the most productive, beneficial way? That's wisdom. Okay? Anybody can mass up a bunch of knowledge, but if you don't know what to do with it, it's not going to be that, that helpful. You need wisdom. So Paul is praying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the whole package. But then look at this little phrase. Verse 10. So that. That's your purpose. Why does Paul want these believers filled with the knowledge of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Why, why, does, why do they need to know God's will? So that. Verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You'll live in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that you'll please the Lord in all respects. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please Him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. It's, it's right there. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Please the Lord in all respects. What does that look like, Paul? He, he answers. Just keep reading. Bearing fruit in every good work. By the way, this is a present tense. And let, let me just tell you how this breaks down. This is so neat when you see the Greek language and the grammar that Paul uses to illustrate this point. Because he gives you a, a command. It's an infinitive, but it's, then it's, a, it's what's called a subjunctive verb, which is that, that uh, phrase, so that it gives you a purpose. So it's... Whenever you see that particular grammatical arrangement in Greek, it tells you this is the purpose for this. So it's just, it screams at you. You don't have to figure it out. It just, the grammar tells you what you need to know. So the Bible says you need to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. Now, those are the commands. But then. He gives us this long list of these uh, participles, which is basically attending the verb here, which basically tell us, well, what does it look like, Paul? If this is what we're supposed to do, how do we do that? And then he lists all the things of how you do that. And it's a present tense participle, which means it's a continual fruitfulness. So when he says bearing fruit in every good work, it's not like, well, I'm going to bear this fruit, and, I'm gonna show, and then I'm going to put pile up that fruit right here, and I'm going to check that off, and I'm done. No, 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 no. You're going to continue bearing fruit for your life. The life that you're living in a manner worthy of the Lord. The life that pleases Him in all respects. Does that make sense? Bearing fruit. Continually bearing fruit in every good work. So it's a continual action and it's all encompassing. Every good work. What can I do? Well, I'm going to do something good because I want to please God in everything I do. You see how that works? What does it look like to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects? Well, first thing I'm going to do is bear fruit in every good work, and I'm going to keep doing that. Then the Bible says I'm going to increase or be increasing in the knowledge of God. How do we increase in the knowledge of God? We stay in the Scriptures. Increase in the knowledge of God. Be increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, what's that going to do? 
It will allow us to be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of Christ Jesus. You know how you know you're going to have all power? Because it's according to the glorious might of Christ Jesus. You know who has all power? Christ Jesus. He's got everything and more. Everything we need. We're bearing fruit in every good work. We're increasing in the knowledge of God. We're being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of Christ Jesus. And what will that do in us? Verse 11. Attaining, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Now, sometimes those two words are used as synonyms. Not so in this verse. To be steadfast and to be patient... Uh, to be patient, those are similar, but not the same. Steadfastness is more like um, perseverance, as my my father used to make up this word, stick to itiveness. You ever heard that? <laughs> so he made he made stick to it into a uh, descriptive term. I don't know. I don't even know how you spell that. But anyway, you you stick to it. You you persevere. You you're steadfast. You're enduring and you're patient. All steadfastness and patience. And you know what you need to be able to have all steadfastness and patience? You need all the power of Jesus. Anybody else struggle with patience? Yeah. You can't do that on your own. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. I can't do that on my own. I don't know how y'all are doing with it. I can't do that at all. I need Jesus. By the way, did, did, did anybody else realize when they walked in here this morning that you need Jesus? This is a, this is a gospel-rich paragraph of Scripture. We need Jesus. We needed Him yesterday. We're going to need Him today and we're going to need Him tomorrow. More and more. We need everything that Jesus has to give us. Attaining all steadfastness and patience. The last one in this list, what does it look like to walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects? Joyously giving thanks to the Father. So, so here's what this looks like if you're taking notes or if you want to see this in your mind as a systematic um, order of things. The reason why Paul and Timothy are praying is because they heard about their love for the saints. The thing that they're praying is for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The reason why they're praying for that is so that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects. What that looks like is for them to be bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of Christ, attaining all steadfastness and patience, and joyously giving thanks to the Father. Now why do you think it's so important to give thanks to the Father? That should sound like a foregone conclusion, right? Well, of course we're going to thank God. But, but why? Specifically, what does that mean? Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Curtis Vaughn, who wrote a commentary on this passage, said that 
Gratitude is the crowning virtue of the Christian life. Giving of thanks implies that what has been received has not been earned, but it's a gift. Thanksgiving is therefore the flip side of a key Pauline theological claim that Christians are saved by and live in grace. Christians are saved by and live in grace. God the Father has Himself provided what sinners need to be considered worthy to join the people of God. Let me just clarify that again. Paul and Timothy have heard about this church, so they're praying for this church to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's praying that so that they'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then he gives a description of what that looks like. What does it look like to live worthy, to please God in all respects? And the last thing that he mentions about pleasing God is giving thanks to the Father. So we are to give thanks to the Father, but why? What has He done specifically? Well, how long do we have? Among other things, He has gifted us with the ability to know His will. He has gifted us with spiritual wisdom and understanding. He has enabled us to bear fruit in every good work. He has allowed us to increase in the knowledge of Him. He has strengthened us with all power according to the glorious might of Christ. He has given us steadfastness and patience and then He has enabled us to give thanks to Him with joy in our hearts. Now that's enough, right? But that's not all. That's just the tip of the spiritual iceberg. Because if you look at the phrase immediately following that last little Greek participle, joyously giving thanks to the Father, this is when it gets really good. Like it wasn't good. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Now, when you read that statement, you might just keep reading and think, okay, well, that's, that's awesome. And it is. But you know what it makes me think? When it says there in verse 12, we're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance. So the Father has qualified us. You know, what that, you know what that means to me? If it wasn't for what the Father did, I'm disqualified for the inheritance. Are y'all alright? Everybody, everybody hearing what I'm saying? Without the, the Father's action on our behalf, we are disqualified. That means, without Jesus, I have no inheritance. Without the Father's love and 
influence and interaction into my life, I don't have heaven. I don't have the inheritance of the saints in light. You know where that is? Heaven. So I don't have that. I'm, I'm just qualified unless the Father qualifies me. Well, how did He do that? Because He did it. But how? Well, let's keep reading. He rescued us. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. That, that word means to liberate, to save, to deliver. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, there's a couple things I need to say about that. He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That word that He uses for transfer, it's a Greek word, it was used in secular literature in reference to removing people from one country and placing them as colonists and citizens in another country. You know what that means? Philippians 3.20 Our citizenship is in heaven. We've been transferred from one place to another. We're no longer in bondage in the domain of darkness. We've been rescued. We've been transferred out of the domain of darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now that word kingdom, you know what that means? Who's the king? Jesus. We've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That means Jesus is the king of the kingdom where our citizenship lies. That means Jesus is in charge. He has moral and spiritual sovereignty and authority. And we're citizens in His kingdom. And the reason why we know that it's Jesus that is responsible for carrying out the Father's plan and action on our behalf is if you just read this and you look forward to next Sunday what we're going to talk about in verse 15 to verse 23, God the Father is who we're thanking because He's qualified us to share in the inheritance because He rescued us from the domain of darkness and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the way we have redemption, the way we have been forgiven is because of Jesus. And He's the beloved Son and the King of the kingdom. So, what does that mean for us? Well, a moment ago I I talked about how gospel-rich this paragraph is. The word for redemption. It means literally a release that's brought about by paying a price. Jesus paid a price. He went to a cross 
that was not His. That's part of the plan of redemption. Jesus took a beating, took punishment, carried a cross, died a death, none of which were His. We can't separate those facts from the truth of the story of redemption. Jesus took things that didn't belong to Him so He could give us things that don't belong to us. That was, that was good. That was, I just made that up. Je- Jesus died a death that was ours so we could have forgiveness that's His. Don't you see? Don't you understand? I can't I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. Jesus stood in our place. He died our death. He bore our burden. This is all we sing these songs all the time. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous! How wonderful! Right? Isn't that what the song says? That's what He did. And by the way, the end of verse 14, when it says, in whom we have redemption, the whom is Christ. God did this. He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. But then it says... Comma, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, the, the, the Greek word for forgiveness, small word, literally means sending away. But it tells us that the central feature of redemption is forgiveness. When, when God enacted His plan of redemption for mankind. The main focus was that we need forgiveness. Without Christ, we are still in our sins. We are not forgiven. Without the cross, we are not redeemed because the price had to be paid. God just... He didn't just take the punishment away. He gave the punishment He just didn't give it to us. You see the difference? The judge is seated on the bench. And the sentence is death. He didn't just vacate the sentence. He didn't just say, no, no, nobody has to die. I'm taking that away. That's not what He did. That is a a, a huge um, understatement and a misrepresentation of the Gospel. God didn't take the sentence away. He carried it out fully on Jesus, not us. That's why when we teach the Bible, when we preach the Gospel, we are talking about a, listen, a substitutionary atonement. That's, that's a, those are two very important words. Substitution. Jesus 
died on a cross in my place for my sins. That's why I'm redeemed. And that's why I'm forgiven. But I'm not redeemed and I'm not forgiven unless I surrender to Jesus. You see how that all works together? I don't know if I can possibly overstate this because it's it's that important. If there has never been a, a, a time, a moment, a, a, a period in your life when you have heard and understood and considered the claims of the Gospel of Jesus and you have been convicted in your heart of your sin and you realize you need forgiveness and you have surrendered to Christ and turned from your sin and placed all your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life, salvation, if that hasn't happened, you are not a Christian. I don't know how much more clear I can be. This is a, listen, this is a matter of life and death. Eternal life and death. This is not something to fiddle around with. All the, the benefits that church life offers the people of God are just that. They are beneficial. But none of them is a substitute for repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, repent and believe the Gospel. Trust in Christ. Surrender. That There is no other way. Does that make sense? That is the truth of the Gospel. And so, when I walked down these couple of steps and stood here when we started, this is what I was thinking of. This right here. Because if, if, I, didn't, if I didn't care about you, and you know, I'm, just, I'm checking my own box, you know, I'm, it's Sunday, so I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to preach something. So if, if that's what I'm doing, then, you know, I'll check my box, you check yours, we'll all go eat lunch and everybody's happy. No. No. If I care about you, I care about you. I, I want to take as many people to heaven with me as possible. And so I want you to know the truth. And the truth is, we are all sinners destined for hell unless we have trusted and believed and surrendered to Christ. That's just... I mean, have you, have you read the Bible? It's in there. Multiple times. The only way to forgiveness is through Christ. So, 
like Paul said. He's praying for these believers that he's never met. He's uh, imploring them. He's pleading with them. Believe the Gospel. Trust in Christ. Repent of your sins. This is not something to to just hear and say, okay, well, I'll deal with that later. What if, what if later never happens? How do you know? We have spiritual business to attend to now. Now. If you are saved and, and forgiven and you trust in Christ, then this is not meant to frighten you in any way. This is meant to uh, reaffirm your faith in Jesus and and maybe even elicit some thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying in my place. But if, if you have not repented of your sins and turned to Christ by faith, believing in the Gospel, believing in His sacrifice on your behalf as the only method for forgiveness. If that's not happened, if you haven't come to terms with that, then you have something left undone that you need to take care of. We're walking in borrowed time without Jesus. I'm... Alright, I'm done. I've said everything I can say. Like I said, I can't make you want to. But I have to make sure you hear it. I have to make sure you understand the Gospel. Believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.